Well, welcome back. And to all of our viewers from across the world, welcome to Palestine Deep Dive. Every week we take a look at the issues around Palestine uh, in the Middle East and beyond. And this week uh, we also look at news uh, that is and issues that we don't usually cover. And we're very, very lucky because today uh, we're going to be collaborating with the London Palestine Film Festival. And uh, the festival begins today, today, Friday. Uh, it begins this evening, in fact, and it runs between the 13th and the 26th of November. Uh, it's all online, www.palestinefilm.org.uk. So we've got a stellar collection of guests today. Fantastic. I'm delighted to be joined by three leading Palestinian filmmakers. Uh, they'll all be discussing their latest works. We do really want to hear from you. They would love to hear from you, any of your questions. So please do send them in. It's not uh, very often that we have a, a, an opportunity to have a three major Palestinian filmmakers such as we have with us today. Um, but before we hear from each of them, and I'm going to be asking some questions, putting your questions to them as well, but I'm delighted to be joined by Rua Nabulsi, and uh, Rua is the festival coordinator uh, for the London Palestine Film Festival, and uh, she's going to tell us something about this event. Uh, please, Rua, tell us more. How did it come about? Uh, you, do, do you have sister organisations around the world? But t t tell us about the, the film festival and what people can expect to see and to hear and how they can get involved. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, Mark. Um, I'm really excited to be here to tell you all a bit more about the festival. So the London Palestine Film Festival was founded in order to create a stimulating platform to bring together filmmakers and scholars as well as the general public to help facilitate some really important, like really crucial dialogue around Palestine and its film industry, its culture, its people and its politics. And I think it's particularly important to have this space because I think quite often when people think of Palestine, they have quite a two dimensional view of what that means. And even if you are kind of involved or you're aware of what's happening, I don't know that you get a fully three-dimensional idea of what it means to be Palestinian or to be in Palestine. And so I think art is just a really powerful medium to challenge these kind of limited ideas. And film can just really give you a lot of depth and you kind of find yourself transported into this multi-dimensional world when you're watching these films and you end up watching films that, yes, ta they tackle the harder questions, kind of like what you would read in an article or an op-ed, but you also get to experience the more human side of things as well. And I think that's invaluable. And that's why we do what we do. And that's, I think, the basis of why the film festival exists. To answer one of your questions, yes. So there are Palestine film festivals across the world um, and we do work with them and, you know, we help each other to kind of promote our films and stuff like that. So I think it's really great that more and more of these festivals are popping out uh, popping up rather around the world and for the reason that I've explained um, and so yeah that's basically what we do and why we do it in terms of this year's festival you know it's drastically different circumstances this year 2020 um, but we're still really 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 excited to have launched today as you mentioned Mark um, and so our films for this year have been available to our UK audience as of 10 a.m this morning and the festival is going to run until Thursday, the 26th of November. So everyone's going to have until mid midnight that day to purchase access to our program. 
And I am really, really just so excited about this year's films. And I think we're just, we're really lucky. Um, we're lucky to have such a high number of high production, thought provoking features and documentaries. We've got shorts and we've got some more experimental films, you know, and films that kind of really just push the bound boundaries of what we expect from cinema. And I think that's really exciting. And I think we could all use some really almost like reinvigorating content um, at this point in the year. So yeah, I thought, you know, it's gonna be hard for me to single out any favorites because they're all truly incredible. But I think I just wanted to leave the audience with a couple of recommendations for some of our more unusual or notable films. So if you're looking for something outside of the box, I just wanted to recommend Kamel Jafari's Un Unusual Summer. So the basis of this film is that Kamel, the filmmaker, he discovered footage from a CCTV camera that his father installed. Um, and he installed it because someone kept vandalizing his car. So I think it happened like three times and he, he just wanted to catch the thief, that was it. Like he had nothing else in mind. So he just puts up this camera that kind of monitors where the car is parked. But what you actually end up with and what Kamel does with this footage when he stumbles across it years and years later is you end up with this sort of diary of the Palestinian city of Ramle and it kind of starts unfolding in front of you. And I just think, that's such an interesting way to tell a story and such a unique way to capture a moment or indeed a summer because the film's called An Unusual Summer. And I just, I really, really kind of enjoy the boundaries that Kamel pushes in his film. So definitely check that one out. Um, like I say though, really difficult to single them out, but we've got some really strong feature films this year and I'm sure our panelists will be talking about their own films. So I won't sort of take away from that. Um, I'll, I'll let them speak about their films, but um, you know, we've got, so many features such as Amin Naifi's feature debut. So um, this film is called 200 Meters and basically it tells a story of a family. So this father lives in a different village to his child in the West Bank and they're separated by the apartheid wall and his child ends up getting injured. He needs to get to him, so he needs to get from village to village, but because they're separated by the wall and he's not allowed to cross the checkpoint, um, he ends up in this incredibly difficult situation that I think any parent would be able to kind of feel something for when you're watching this and you're imagining that your child's hurt and you physically need to do whatever you can to get to them. And I think the reason I single this film out is because it's just this perfect balance between the sense of family warmth that you get from like, from feel good films. You know, if you wanna just watch a film to make yourself feel good and you, you don't want anything too heavy in it and it just feels really nice and warm and stuff. And they completely, cap like, you know, that's completely captured in the film but there is still this political tension and this underlying sense of injustice. And I think that perfectly encapsulates the Palestinian experience, which is three-dimensionality and family and warmth and moments of happiness, but also this underlying sense of tension and injustice. And I just think, yeah, like it's really well captured and it kind of encapsulates what we're trying to convey as a festival about the Palestinian experience. Um, I could of course go on with recommendations, but I won't. Um, so definitely make sure to check out the program. As Mark said, it's www.palestinefilm.org.uk. All films are six pounds um, and many of them include extras such as introductions from filmmakers or Q and A discussions too. So I'm sure you wanna, won't wanna miss those. Um, so yeah, well, thank you so much. You, you don't get away that with it that easily because we've got uh, Phil Chetwind here. He's written, uh -huh. He says, Phil says, Thanks to Palestine Deep Dive for organizing this. Can you please record these recommendations on chat? Okay. Can you do that, Rua? 
I can, I can do that. Okay, I will do that. I mean, I, I hesitate to sort of highlight any individual films as though like these are the films you must watch, but I will, you know, I would end up listing the whole program, but okay. I will mention we, these two we, films. We'll, 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 we'll let you do what you have to do. And just remind everybody, www.palestinefilm.org.uk, uh, sign up and get watching. Um, and uh, look, thank you. You're very busy, so we appreciate your time. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we hope uh, after this, you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy the, this program in itself and, and perhaps uh, let others put it up there as part of, uh, as part of, the, uh, as, of the film week for people to look at. So thank you, Ru. Thank you from all of us. Now, what I'd like to do now is to introduce our panel. Um, and I'd like to begin with Lena. Uh, Lena Alabed is an award-winning documentary filmmaker Born in Damascus to a Palestinian father and Egyptian mother, her most recent film, Ibrahim, A Fate to Define, in 2020, 2019, took seven years to make, and it traces the journey of her investigation into what happened to her father, who disappeared when she was six years old in 1987 and didn't return. It picked up the Alguna star for the best Arab documentary at Egypt's Alguna Film Festival, and the jury prize at the Gabez Cinema Cinema Fen Festival in Tunisia. Najwa Najar is a Palestinian writer and director. Since 2000, she's worked on both documentary and fiction films. And Najwa's 2014 screenplay, Eyes of a Thief, was the Palestinian submission for the 2015 Oscars Best Foreign Film and Golden Globe Awards. Her latest film, Between Heaven and Earth, was the recipient of the prestigious Naguib Mahfouz Award and has, been a and has been a selected for this year's European Academy Awards. And uh, finally, Farah Nabulsi. Farah is a Palestinian British filmmaker and human rights advocate. And she's spoken and screened her film, uh, her work internationally at film festivals, universities, and at the United Nations. Her current film, The Present, underscores the importance of freedom of movement as a basic human right and it's picked up over 15 prominent international audience and jury awards at top tier film festivals so far in 2020, and has qualified for the 2021 Oscars. Afar is now currently developing her first feature length film. So that is fantastic. Thank you very much all for joining us again. What I'd like to do is, is perhaps just begin by asking each of you and starting, if I may, with Naja. I mean, what was it? I mean, people watching this will be interested to know, what was it that got you into filmmaking? Um, my father was a journalist at one point of his life, and he taught me how to use his camera. And I was a very avid reader, and we had, my mother was into music, so it seemed to be, it seemed to be at a very young age that was the way that I was going. But I decided to study political science and economics in the US. So I did my BA, and you can imagine what kind of politics I was getting as somebody from the Arab world, as demonized as an Arab, as a Palestinian, and then it became Islamophobia, and then no concept that there was even Christians that existed. The whole narrative of the Arab world was completely askew. So it was a choice. Either I complain, <laughs> or I go into what actually was seen to have been put for me from quite a young age, and I did my uh, master's in cinema, and I started from there. Lena. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, everyone. Uh, what makes me a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker? Yes. 
it just there was no really story i i, I studied uh, journalism and then i start by uh, from the graduation project i start by doing a documentary film and starting from them i was starting like each film i was saying you know okay let's see this film like uh, if i'm really satisfied i enjoy this i continue if not uh, I, I I will quit, but it seems uh, for me it's the most uh, enjoyable uh, way to express myself. And what about you, Farah? Oh, Farah, I think you're still muted. Okay, is that unmuted? That, no, you're yes. there. You're with us. You're with us. <laughs> yeah. So my my um, my professional and educational background are nothing to do with film. I've never worked in the film industry. I've never studied film formally or informally. Uh, I sort of chose to become a filmmaker only a few years ago. I threw caution to the wind after what I call uh, a life-changing trip to Palestine for the first time as an adult. 25 years after my last trip as a child. And um, without going into all the details, I felt compelled to tell these human stories, these stories that I'd come across and the, and, and the, whole, the whole situation there. And I also wanted to express myself creatively. And so I, um, I just dove in and I adapted some initial writings that I had written personally and therapeutically for myself on the back of those trips. And, uh, and then I just adapted them. I, I'd written them, produced them. And along the way, everyone was saying to me, why aren't you directing your films? You're just writing and producing, why aren't you directing? Which brings us to the present, quite literally the present film and the present time, which is that I, I then directed this film. Um, so that's, that's how I got into film. I, and, uh, I mean, di different avenues for all three of you in a way. Um, and, uh, but I'm wondering, I mean, because, you know, with, with the Palestine Film Festival, but of course, you know, the films that you've been working on, the documentaries, they cover a multitude of different issues. Uh, but do you sometimes find, I'll ask all three of you this question, but starting with you, uh, Farah, if I may, don't you find, because people's understanding, particularly in, in the West of Palestine and Israel and the issues and what have you, is that they very rarely get their heads around cultural issues because it's cultural issues and film and music uh, very rarely discussed in a way. Do you find that everything tends to be contextualized around Palestine, Israel and the, and the conflict? So if you're making a film about Palestine, it has to be about the conflict. Is that what people think? It, I think I don't think that has to be the case at all. Of course, that's the um, that's the choice of the artist. I mean, I, I, an art critic said the other day, um, you cannot make art without a sense of identity. It is identity we seek in making art. I can only talk for, for myself. I, I, I've chosen to become a filmmaker because I am seeking my identity as a as a Palestinian, as an, a filmmaker, and as a as a human being. And so I will make films that interest me and the topics that I'm drawn to that uh, have importance to me. I personally believe that film or cinema should do what uh, director Alessandro Inarritu said, where it must raise the global social conscience. This is a belief of mine. So I have tended towards that. I always say, I wish I could just make, you know, pure entertainment or something. That it's just not what I'm drawn to. 
Um, but I believe you can, um, we could do films about all sorts of things, uh, uh, you know, across the array and we should, but on the, on the individual level, we get to choose what's important to us and that's what I'm drawn to. I don't know yeah, if I answered the question. Well, well thank you. No, it does. And, but, and to Lena, to you too, that question. I mean, perhaps, you know, one day, one day, if there is peace and a, and, a, and a settlement that suits everybody in Palestine, perhaps you may not feel the need to identify in such a way. Do you think that's a possibility? Um, is that something to be worked for? Uh... I mean, in a way, like if I'm, I'm thinking about uh, filming something and about your question, it has to be about the conflict or not, especially because we are talking about uh, Palestine. In my opinion, I think even if you will not uh, film like uh, uh, direct uh, scenes, violent scenes for the occupation, like I'm not filming uh, army or settlement or this, even if I'm filming like a usual one day for a man uh, in Haifa or for a woman in Ramallah, I think it's hidden and it's already, you can, you can see that the conflict and you can see that it's, uh, it's a place under uh, incubation in the end. But uh, in, general, in general, I do not believe that if you will, should speak about Palestine, like you should speak about uh, uh, serious or, or conflict or, I think it, it should be a more open space. Uh, and what about you, Najwa? Because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, just for sake of example, back in the 1970s, if we'd been talking about Irish cinema, for instance, it probably would have been very, very much framed around the troubles, as they were euphemistically called, in the, uh, the ongoing um, uh, low-level civil war, if you like, especially in the north of Ireland. I mean, do, do, you, do you find, because of where we are right now, that you're, you are going to be sort of uh, put in a box by a lot of people and say, right, okay, well, if they're making films about Palestine, it's only going to be about one thing? That's actually a really interesting question, but I can see I want to answer you from another angle, is that because it is a Palestinian film, there are certain expectations, and that's what I see more is that when you come to, um, to pro programmers, um, sometimes they just tell you, you know, your, your film is just not Palestinian enough. If you go into more of the, you know, human stories, into stories that reflect um, different parts of society, um, if it's, there's something that we have that we, we call certain cinema it's called the village kind of cinema of which it's the villager it's somebody who he's just the worker it's the put a few traditional things in throw in a dance throw in a worker bring in an israeli character bring in this and you've got the package <laughs> and so when you break away from this package there's actually a lot of resistance to this so i um i just um i just think that it's it's wonderful that there are more voices that want to say different kinds of stories and to say the narrative in a different way. And it is a fight. It's not an easy one because it has become so entrenched that even sometimes in the Arab world and in Palestine, or in, in, they want to see that as well. So when you break away from it, there is that resistance. So sorry, I'm answering in a different way, but uh, yeah. No, it's, it's very interesting that because I'm just guessing that if you're having to go to these traditional uh, companies, then the, the, these, uh, the, the people who make these decisions about commissioning presumably come at it with that sort of view in mind. But look, we've got some questions coming in. Jean Fitzpatrick, um, she says, 
And um, I look, we'll start with you, Najwa, again on this one. Um, what sources of funding have you found available for filmmaking and producing? Um, so I've been doing this since 2000. And um, so I've, I've gone to a lot of, we've done a lot of co-production and we, we love to co-produce also with the Arab world because we believe that um, it's our story and it's our voices and it should come together. We've, we've been quite lucky except for a few incidents where the commissioning editors were quite amazing people. There were usually people that were very politically involved. They were more or less very progressive, left-wing, and so their interference in the work was minimal. So they allowed us that space to be able to. So we were, we have co-produced with Germany, with France, with Iceland, um, with Luxembourg, uh, with, with Egypt. Um, we do bring in um, uh, investors from the Arab world as well, because we believe that this is a story that should be told by all of us. And um, so we have been able to tackle, we've gotten TVs, ZDF on board, Arte. Um, uh, um, so we have, have uh, various uh, different kinds of funding. And, and what about you, Farah? Um, have, have you had a fairly similar experience there? Uh, actually very different in the sense that, um, so with the short films, it's, 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 you know, I started from scratch in the sense that it wasn't a feature film and, it was friends, family, personal funding, and a few, let's say, individuals who support the arts in that sense. Um, and yes, okay, occasional grant, you know, from a, from a foundation. Um, with the feature film, that's gonna be a different journey. I'm sure it'll be very similar to Najwa's. Um, but, you know, it's just, uh, I'm at a different, different point in that journey. Um, I did wanna just add one, one point to the question before to do with, uh, you know, what we choose to make our films out, you know, in, in that sense. Um, you know, I've been asked, do you, do you think, you know, your films are political and so forth? And I, I remember answering that, I think everything to do with Palestine, whether we like it or not, actually ends up being political. And uh, the analogy I gave at the time, and it came to my mind after I finished answering, was I said, you know, it's like asking someone, come to the desert and make a film about the desert, but show no sand. <laughs> it's just very hard to do. Yeah. You know, um, so I, just everything, whether you try to make any kind of film, there's always going to be something political, whether it's our food, the landscape, whatever it is. Anyway, sorry. So I answered the question on the finances from my from my perspective is a bit different. But uh, yeah. What, uh, what about your experience, Lena? Uh, from my experience, I have been doing this like uh, almost to 2008. And uh, especially with this film, because it's the first feature film and it took seven years. It took seven years also, to, to be honest, not only because it's, uh, it's hard as an independent group of people to produce uh, a documentary, but uh, also for the kind of the subject of the film, because it was very personal uh, story. But uh, like there is always like, first of all, of course, we apply for many international and, uh, international and regional funds. And then uh, we were lucky, it's always this uh, plan B that we have this, our network, uh, which is like, they are friends, but also work in the same uh, domain in different country. So it's also to make kind of um, co help for co-production. And then we apply for many uh, platform during the post-production post to be able to finish the film. 
Well, actually, Lena, you, you neatly, because you referred to your film, you've le this neatly led me to a question I just wanted to ask you, which is uh, about your film, about the ending of your film. Um, have you reached a conclusion on, on the disappearance of your father? Um, um, and, and, and is this still a story ongoing? I think that's what a lot of people will be interested to know, if you're able to tell us. Yeah, uh, I mean, I wasn't, I couldn't reach uh, a certain information about my father. I, I, I reached the information that he has been uh, killed in a place, but the guy also in, uh, near Saida in Lebanon, but also the information was not really, um, uh, it was not sure. And it uh, took me a while, but then um, I was, I, I was still f uh, fed up with this, the end of the journey, when I realized that it's not about the end of the journey or the, uh, w what's the result. It's about the journey itself. It's about all of these years and uh, what I have been uh, known more about myself, uh, how I built in a way like a memory for a guy that I didn't uh, know. And it was very helpful. So for me now, uh, it's not really, it's not still a question of uh, if I'm still waiting a new news or not. But uh, for me in the end, when I, when I finished the film, I felt that uh, I just uh, buried him in a, in a very beautiful way. And it was not really sad because I was not really alone with all the friends, all the family, uh, with every people, they were really giving me a lot of uh, support. Oh, well, thank you for that. Thank you, Lena. Look, we have a, a message here. This is from Diane Woodward, and she says, uh, it's great to see so many Palestinian filmmakers are women, uh, shattering gender stereotypes, stereotypes and making films that show the human side of the Palestinian experience rather than just the two sides of a conflict. That's from Diane. Thank you, Diane. Um, and we've got a question here. Uh, this is from Phil. Phil says, um, what about showing your films in Palestine? The lack of a cinema network there is very sad. Can you show your films in alternative locations? Um, Najwa, are you able to answer Phil's question? Um, there's a lovely festival that's been going on for the past 10 years. It's Film Lab. So they screen several, they screen several films um, in October. They just finished their festival. Uh, there is um, a new festival now that's starting up in Jerusalem, which is going to screen Arab films as well as Palestinian ones. But what I find is the more interesting thing is that how do we get the movies screened all around the West Bank in Jerusalem? And then how do we screen them also in Nazareth, in Haifa, in Yaffa? Where, how do we do this? Uh, between with uh, our previous movie, um, uh, The Eyes of a Thief, we got to know all the Filmeyedin uh, in, uh, in Haifa, we got to know the people who were there, and we had screenings. We had in Umm al Fahim, we had in Haifa, we had in Yaffa, and it was brilliant. Of course, it's a lot of work on the producers. Um, because now we're hopefully some of the Palestinian distributors will start also to distribute in throughout the, ho the whole country. So, um, but it's, it is doable and there's a huge thirst and it's a really important connection between Palestinians throughout the country. Um, in Gaza, they also have a festival. Um, uh, last time, I think it was last year, it's called the Red Carpet Gaza. So there is attempts which we all try to support throughout the country. 
Farah, if I may come to you on this question, I mean, forgive, forgive me for my ignorance, but I mean, you know, in, 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 in most countries, there are, there are cinema companies, uh, there are national distribution networks. You go to a cinema, let's say in Britain, in Coventry, you can go to the cinema with the same name in, in Leicester or London or Liverpool or whatever. I mean, would you be able to see your film or any of your documentaries or those of Najwa Zolina's in Israel proper? Do you get, are there, you know, Israeli film companies and cinemas that will show your work? My work personally or just Palestinian filmmakers' work? Well, well your work and, and Palestinian um, filmmakers' work. Uh, you know, it, look, there's, there is Palestinians in 48 Palestine with Israeli citizenship who uh, might have even got funding from an Israeli grant, for example, or an Israeli foundation, and no doubt they would be screening their films in 48 Palestine um, with no difficulty, perhaps. Um, but I'm, I'm not one of those filmmakers, and I don't believe, maybe I'm wrong, but the other two may or may not be. Um, so from my end, I'm, I'm not actively applying to, you know, to screen within Israel, and I'm not being actively approached. I am being actively approached by uh, Jewish film festivals from around the world. Um, who uh, you know have reached out and they have asked to screen my film at their festivals um, in the U.S. predominantly, and so for example, in December, uh, my film will be screening with the other Israeli film festival, which is in New York. Um, I personally uh, will always ask if there is any Israeli government funding to a festival outside, and if there is, I will politely decline. But if it is a festival, even if it has a name like the other Israeli festival, um, as long as their funding is not from the Israeli government, I will gladly screen my film with them. Because of course I do want the film to be in front of audiences that uh, may or may not quite understand what's happening in Palestine or you know, narratives such as my story or documentaries and all that. At the same time, I also have to be selective of, uh, of my choices. This is something I, I, I personally adhere to. But I'm sure, you no, know, some Palestinians... I'm, I'm glad that you, you explained that to us, actually, uh, Farah, because that does make things a lot clearer. I suppose at the back of my mind was this idea that um, it would be really great if as many Israelis as possible could tap into the Palestine, Palestinian film experience. Um, uh, not, not uh, I, understandably, why you know you personally and others wouldn't uh, want to take Israeli funding, even if it were available for you. Um, Nashua, do you have anything you'd like to add to that at all? I mean, uh, what's your take on that issue? <laughs> really want to know. <laughs> um, I think the Israelis, we are right next door to them, and it's very clear what's going on. And it's their job to work on their governments. And it's no secret that Israel is occupying us. Um, I find that the, the, like the other Israeli, they've, they've approached us as well. And according to certain guidelines, I think that have been put out for most of the filmmakers, that there are three basic tenets which they have to admit to publicly, which is um, recognizing Palestinians' rights to a state, recognizing the rights of Palestinians who live inside 48. So there's three basic tenets which they have to make publicly. So when they approached us, there was no government funding, but we said, can you please make these, um, these three tenets um, publicly available? And they refused. 
So we, we could not screen our film there. And I think the whole purpose of this is that if this is going to be a joint effort, this has to be also on our terms. It's not just on the terms of Israelis. Israelis are there. They know what they are doing. But it has their terms. And it has to include our terms. I mean, that's the only way that I see real peace and justice and for them to see. I mean, it's, it's the same as, as screening also inside. We go to the Palestinian institutions because one, we want to support the Palestinian institutions. And when we, when Haifa Film Festival approached us, we, we said to them, you know, it's difficult. We cannot screen with you because you have Israeli funding. But if you really want our movie, like you say you do, can you please send this to your list that we are screening in Haifa on these days? They did not. No. So we have our terms. I mean, this actually comes down to Palestinians with pride who have their terms. And this is the only way real, I think, cinema can be used in the best way possible so that we play a big role. So that's- But I just, I, I just wanna interlude there. The other Israel Film Festival is in New York. And if it had any other name, may have never asked for those elements. It was so, so it's very different to a festival that's in Israel and a festival that's out. So for example, you'll have numerous US festivals that you may or may not have screened at that even had a special uh, program for Israel, for example, or so forth. And as long as they weren't getting funding from any government, then that's not necessarily an Israeli festival. You see what mm. I mean? So, so I feel that, that, that I completely agree with very much a lot of what you're saying. But when it comes to the other Israel festival in New York, it's just the name that's the stigma at that point. You would never ask, you know, uh, Cleveland International Film Festival or whatever, we need you to stipulate these three things. You see what I mean? So it's the no, name that's unfortunate. No, it's very interesting, you've, you've actually, you've, as you were saying that, my mind for some strange reason dr drifted off to the Eurovision Song Contest. And uh, you'll know that the Eurovision Song Contest has, amongst other European countries, Israel as a contestant country. Um, some of us have never really worked out that, you know, Israel is actually in Europe, but it yeah. is part of the Eurovision Song Contest. But surely on that basis, that the Palestine should be uh, taking part in the Eurovision Song Contest. I think there's something we should start here. But look, we've got a question from, uh, I hope I'm going to pronounce his name correctly, uh, Sepp uh, van Hecker, uh, and, and he's from Belgium. He's sending his question from Belgium, and he says, one of the critiques on co-productions is that it's hard for the Palestine film industry to develop because a lot of the production has to be done in the lands of the funds where the money is coming from, uh, where the countries are, uh, and all production companies, often in Europe. Um, so how do you as panelists look at this, this issue of uh, funding coming from outside Palestine and the difficulties there? Lena, what do you think? I think, Mark, it's better to uh, let Najwa have never lived in Palestine. I only visit Palestine twice in my life. Oh, okay. Well, and Najwa, Najwa, you are, that's very, that's very, uh, you, you, yeah, yeah. Najwa, what do you think? Um, again, I think that you can always um, put certain kinds of um, rules and regulations. There are some funds like German money, for every euro they give you, you have to spend 1.8. So we never get from Germany because it's too expensive as money. 
Um, but for example, French money gives Sorry, you. Sorry, can you explain that again, Najwa? I don't quite. I didn't quite follow that. So the, uh, you have to qualify by doing what for, to uh, get for, German in Germany, money. In Germany, for example, if they give you um, one euro, you have to spend one point eight euros in in Germany. Oh, I see. So, right. So what what ends up happening is all your free money ends up going. So we've decided not to take any more German money. It does. It's not worth it for us. French money, they give you fifty percent, which is free money, which you can use in your. Um, and sometimes it's not so bad to have co-production money where you use 50% in the country, like in Luxembourg, in France, Belgium. I know it's more or less, you, all, you have to use almost all the money in Belgium, so it's a little bit difficult. But if you have free money to use in your country, and you have free, it's also a way of, of building relationships. When you go and you work in France and they see a Palestinian story being told, that's also a different way of, of people seeing your story, hearing your narrative, being involved in your narrative. So when France gives a voice to your narrative, this is a different kind of solidarity and support. Mm -hmm. So it's not, um, but it's how you decide to choose to do your co-productions. We make sure that, for example, that of the 40% of our crew, 35 are Palestinian. We do have a co-production, which we have worked with three times with Iceland, but Iceland gives money for crew to come to Palestine, which is wonderful because they get to know the country, they're big Palestine, and they're great work. They're wonderful people. So we have this fantastic relationship with Iceland, but we have 35 people who are Palestinians. And um, unfortunately, a lot of Palestinians want to be either directors or directors. So, but we have been over the past 20 years building with me, Hani Abu Asad, and Marie Jasser. All of us, we have worked with local industries, um, local people building. And so it has been developing in a very, very big way as well. So, um, so it's not bad to have co-productions, but we have to be choosy how we do them. Thank you, Najwa. I mean, I'm going to ask a question um, about identity now, if I may. I mean, this is you know, we can see throughout the world increasing um, numbers of countries recognizing Palestine uh, as they also recognize Israel. We also know that uh, you know, Palestine has an observer status at the United Nations. Um, we also know that Palestine has been around for a very, very long time. And yet there is a kind of almost a politicization uh, of Palestine that means that some people get very worried when Palestine is mentioned, which brings me neatly onto this extraordinary tale that we were talking about very briefly when we started, which is uh, the book, the cook and writer, Judy Kalla, her book, Palestine on a Plate. You'll be familiar with this book. Um, uh, Farah, Lena, I guess you've heard of this book, Palestine on a Plate cookery book, and, and the, the attempts to get the author to drop the word Palestine. Um, which to many of us seem quite extraordinary. But, you know, what do you do in, under such, such a circumstance? If Palestine simply got to, uh, you know, sort of disappear, it's got to be evaporated, you can't mention Palestine. I mean, what, what is, uh, what, I mean, it seems quite an extraordinary situation. What was your reaction when you heard that, Farah? Well, first of all, I've known Judy since we were children. We used to play netball together <laughs> at school. Um, so I love what she's done. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. And I think the people that you're referring to are the people we should actually be ignoring. It is it's preposterous. And I, I don't think one should even give that any, any attention. I think by 
when we do, we kind of give agency to those who think that we shouldn't, you know, be mentioned and shouldn't be around. I think we should just dismiss it because, Mark, the vast majority of people who, when they, they do understand the basics of, of the, 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 the conflict, if you want to call it, or the occupation, or they would agree with me, it's ridiculous. So it's, 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 it's a small group of people, but they're just extremely active and extremely vocal. Um, but the underlying premise of it all is absolutely ridiculous. And so I think that they should just be ignored and she should, of course, refuse. And, and that's that. And then yes, they'll get bored and they'll move, on, they'll move on to the next person that they're going to try and bully. Yes. And I only wish someone like Corbyn had actually spoken up and held his ground and he would have found more people feeling empowered by that, as opposed to us always being on the defensive. And I, 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 I refuse that. It sh it, we should not be waiting around to be called out or told off or take this off or, you know, I, I think we should yeah. always push back. Well, and you, that's you, the you've key. actually, Farah, you've, you've strayed into an issue which we weren't really going to talk about today, but since you've raised it, I mean, no, we have a situation, I'm here in the, in the UK, and by the way, have, have been a member of the Labour Party since I was 15, and I voted for the man you just mentioned, Jeremy Corbyn, and in my recollection, possibly the most uh, pro-Palestinian um, leader of the British and the most anti-racist, anti, anti-Semite. Uh, uh, yes, anti you, 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 you've, you've let you've let ahead of me again. Absolutely, I've known him for thirty years. I mean, it, uh, I, the idea that uh, somebody could accuse him of being anti-Semitic or, or or racist is so utterly absurd. Unfortunately, he's also too nice a person, really, to take the strong action that possibly needs to be taken when that happened. But I mean, actually, it, it leads us neatly on from a book where you have the pressure to drop Palestine from the title to the wider pressure now um, in the, the Labour Party and beyond, really to, to, uh, to avoid, if you possibly can, getting caught up in the issues around Palestine. Because such is the Ferrari, uh, other people who, uh, who, who have less courage than Corbyn or less knowledge, Yes, I think I may have dropped out there, but we do. I, I don't know if you if you if you heard that last bit, which is the the issue around um, censorship, really, which to, which beyond beyond the book to the situation that we have in Britain of self censorship and an effort recently by prominent British Palestinians uh, in a letter to various publications saying, look. Um, we are concerned that self censorship means that we can't discuss these issues. Well, you with your films are able to do this and break through but um lena what's your take on this have you have you run into uh, problems um you know when you're trying to make films and 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 uh, this kind of reaction against palestinian identity uh you mean like from uh, not in security way you mean from normal people yes yes yeah i mean it was not easy for some of the people I, uh, I still remember, for example, when I was screening in Toronto, I screened also in Palestinian Toronto film days, and it was different because most of the audience was Arab, was Arab and it's totally different reaction. And uh, one of the women, I mean, the good things, I think that most of, the, all, most of them, I wouldn't say all of them, they really liked the film, but there was a lot of people that they, 
did not agree with me how I uh, how I uh, talk or how I speak about Palestine as a concept. And I remember this woman that she was really like she, she was very old woman and she was uh, almost going to cry and asking me how could you do this. <laughs> and I was telling her, don't not right, do not really take it uh, in a way, uh, not not personal in a way. Like we were trying uh, to speak in a different way for uh, many years, just uh, at least be be able to see, uh, to listen for different usual reaction about Palestine. And by, by seeing this, I'm not saying that I do not care about Palestine or or not. Uh, uh, fight, but I mean it's uh, it's uh, in a in a different way. I mean because the main question for me here, like it's really the different. I I am Palestinian, but I am a, a victim or I am survivor, mm. and this is the different for me. This is what makes the things in a different dimension. Right. Well, thank you, thank you. Look, we've got a question here, and this is from Stephen Waters. Um, I'll come to you, Najwa. Um, uh, he asks, is there a good source or, or sources of films to look for to show on Zoom events? Short films, documentaries preferably. I help to organise Zoom events to raise awareness of Palestinian topics, but people seem to be a bit tired of the two to three speaker setup. Oh dear, I hope you're not fed up with this, Stephen. You're not tired of this. Uh, but anyway, I'm sure he isn't, and I'm sure others are. But he says, how do we find today's speakers' films after the festival? Najwa, can I come to you on that? Yeah. Um, social media is usually the best way. Um, you'll find everybody's emails, addresses, everything, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, it's all there. So, but Can I talk to you a little bit about the censorship? Please. Okay. You see, I'm, I get a bit annoyed when I hear that people, you know, are, you know, in parliamentarians and people who don't want to take stands and people in the UK. It's kind of like, it's, we didn't have a problem with Jews. <laughs> thanks to World War II, thanks to Germany and the British mandate. Thank you very much. We have a huge catastrophe on our hands. So it's not just up to us to do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. There is a responsibility and there's a world responsibility. So the censorship, I mean, it's, we take risks by living there. We take, our, our censorship is not just about not being able to speak or going to a festival and being denied. We, are, we can be denied our homeland very, very briefly and without going into too much detail, which you actually know, there's people who cannot enter now because of movies that they've done, because of books that they write. So the censorship goes on a much deeper level, which is kind of an ethnic cleansing of Palestine. So when they want to remove Palestine from a cookbook, it's not just removing Palestine. It is a systematic attempt to ethnically cleanse us, to remove the world, word Palestine. So it's not just up to us. It's too much of a responsibility of us having to live under occupation, to have to do the movies, to have to have. It needs everyone, including Britain, very much including Britain, including Germany, which really we had nothing. We never had a problem. Muslims, Christians and Jews live together and we never asked for our land to become part of Israel. So, so I think that we should start to look at this in a much bigger way because um, there shouldn't be censorship in this day and age. 
we should be able to fight and we should not be afraid of everyone and anyone. Um, and, and I think there's strength when all of us have that voice and when we all can stand together. I can stand up, but if nobody stands next to me, after a while, I'm going to fall. But if everybody starts, if Lena and then Farah and then you and then me and then my, you know, everybody, then it, I think we become a much stronger against people that try to ethnically cleanse, to remove the word of Palestine, and that start, it starts with the censorship. Well, I mean, I, I could ask you, I mean, these, you know, I've, I've, I've seen this myself in the United States where I used to live and work, the, the uh, political power of APAC. Um, I see the uh, very uh, considerable influence of the Israeli government on uh, countries around the world. And by the way, to simply say that, uh, it, it risks being controversial. We all know that countries wield influence around the world, um, and Israel has been particularly successful. And one of the issues, for instance, I mean, you, we could highlight is this issue of the of companies, uh, Israeli companies, operating in the occupied territories in the West Bank and the boycott and divestment movement. Now, there is obviously a big pressure from Israel on Western governments to have this uh, movement effectively banned. So this is a, it's a quite a, it's a quite powerful force. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of apartheid South Africa in the earlier years when it had real influence, um, but which changed in latter years. But I mean, this is, I suppose, this goes to the heart of what all three of you um, have to live with. Even if, even if you wanted to push all of your energies into filmmaking and documentary making that took you away from just the Middle East, perhaps, you're almost invariably pulled back there because uh, this has been your life and this has been your experience. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, so which brings me, I suppose, to a question, if I could ask you, um, you know, Farah, what, you know, what sort of actual difficulties, physical difficulties, uh, might you face if you were filming in, let's say, West Bank, in the West Bank? Uh Look, I, I, the present was filmed entirely in the West Bank, in the Bethlehem area. Um, if, if you choose, uh, or you have to kind of make the choice to film, because I'm, I'm not making documentaries, so I'm not forced to go and film something in a place or an area which I know maybe I'm not supposed to be, or, you know, or there, there's no permissions. Or If you stick to areas sort of A versus B and C, then really you're taking, if you needed permissions, permissions from the, the PA. Mm -hmm. and the municipalities you know in that sense and as a filmmaker you're kind of forced to do that if you're choosing to film in the west bank you're kind of forced to to take to, to film in those locations i did find some fabulous locations in the area of b and c and it just was unrealistic that we were going to be able to set up a film set and, and do what we wanted to do without you're very restricted then you are very restricted about you are so you are restricted in that sense for sure and i was frustrated because everywhere i liked and where i wanted even from a from a acoustic level you know and was in areas b or c um, so you are restricted, but once you're in the areas A, you know, you're dealing with different kind of issues that are more related to just standard filmmaking. And when you come to B and C, it's very unlikely, very unrealistic. You're, you're almost looking for trouble. Okay. That said, we scene two of our film, The Present, is, is, is real footage of the infamous Checkpoint 300 in Bethlehem, uh, where thousands of Palestinians go through every single day. And I felt very strongly about filming there. Um, uh, and of course, budget wise, and even 
authenticity wise, authentically wise, uh, I didn't want to recreate it. I wanted the actual checkpoint. So we took a risk and that's a filmmaker's prerogative. Um, went ahead with two, two cameramen, uh, no lights. We, we, we couldn't afford to sort of bring lighting and attract attention to ourselves in that sense. And we went in guerrilla style. And uh, we had someone working with us who knew up until which point we will come into the site of the military around the corner. And, you know, and, and we didn't know what was going to happen, but it all went very well, thank God. And um, so in the end, you know, it doesn't mean that if you were to film, let's say in the heart of Ramallah and you think you're okay, you're okay. No, we all know that the Israeli military can come in and they can even put the entire city under curfew, for example, but it is less likely. So when you're choosing your locations, just be a bit careful. You're choosing to, to film in the West Bank. It, there's gonna be some extra headaches and, and you just need to be sensible about certain things and hope for the best. <laughs> As you're saying that, Farah, I'm beginning to think really that you, you're, as filmmakers, you're actually like frontline journalists working in conflict zones. Um, you know, you, you, you may not set out to you be- You give us too much credit. I think the frontline journalists deserve more credit than us. But. Well, no, that's, that, that's good of you to say, and that, I'm sure that, they'd be, that would be appreciated by them. But I'm, but I'm also sure that it's quite dangerous to operate as a journalist or a filmmaker uh, from time to time in different parts of Palestine and that you, you will be taking a bit of a risk. And I can only just say that from my own limited experience when I was with Al Jazeera and before and traveling through the West Bank and uh, going to uh, Hebron and uh, going to Nablus and various other places and going through Israeli checkpoints and actually coming across a conscript soldiers, Israeli soldiers, who were effectively teenagers. And who, if I saw teenagers like that wandering around here, I'd probably phone the police. <laughs> so I mean, yes, it's all very, very unnerving. Look, we've got a question here. This is um, no, it's not a question. This is from Phil Chetwind again, uh, and he says, "May I draw your attention to the work of the Network of Photographers for Palestine? Uh, we have several virtual exhibitions online. See us on kunstmatrix.com. Kunstmatrix.com. K-U-N-S-T-Matrix.com. Thank you for that film." Uh, thank you for that, Phil. Um, well, look, unfortunately, our time is beginning to draw to a close, sadly. It's been a fantastic uh, uh, opportunity for us to, to meet with you and to be able to speak with you. And uh, can we can we have, can Paul put, can Phil put that on here? Yes, Phil, put that on here, put it up. Um, so it's been great having you all on here. I just want to finish, really, by, by sort of saying, you know, if, if you were to... To, to look back on the, all the work that you've done and the, the trials and the tribulations, the experience, the excitement, the fun, the, the problems you've faced, you know, what, what recommendations would you have for young Palestinian filmers or filmmakers or people thinking about, you know, following in your footsteps? Lena, can I start with you? What advice might you have? And also, who, who should we be looking out for as well? Who should we? Yes, who, which, who, who could you recommend us to be also looking out for? Other Palestinian filmmakers, doc, documentary makers, people you would recommend to us? Ah, uh, um, for me, I really recommend the uh, Mahdi Flefel uh, uh, films. Mainly, I'm talking about award, not ours. Uh huh. Already, yes. Okay, Najwa, have you got uh, 
Have you got any recommendations? I mean, also, you know, your advice for any any wannabes, any filmmaking wannabes out there? Well, I think that, um, I think there has to be an absolute unquestionable desire of what you want to do, that you passion of your story, because there are so many obstacles in the way. And if you want to write a Palestinian, you want to make a Palestinian story, everything from, I mean, um, between heaven and earth, we had four people who were arrested. We had uh, permits denied. We had to shoot uh, about five, six days on the sly. Um, there is so many obstacles on the way. A lot of filmmakers, they, we all face obstacles, but, and funding is an obstacle for all filmmakers. But shooting in, um, in the West Bank, shooting in Jerusalem, shooting inside historic Palestine, shooting in places where you don't want to give, you don't want um, permissions given to you and people to read your script that are not your authority, has its own special thing. So I think there has to be an absolute passion that every time a door closes, there will be another one that's open. And if not, there's a window. And if there's not a window, there is that chimney and there is a way to do your story. And um, they should reach out to also, you know, other Palestinian and other filmmakers in the region. And we're all very helpful to them. That's great. Thanks, Najwa. And Farah to you, if I may. I would echo, echo what Najwa said. Um, I always kind of look at the, um, one of the lines that Charles Bukowski said, he said, if something burns your soul with purpose and desire, it is your duty to be reduced to ashes by it. So don't bother if you're not driven by some purpose and desire, deep, deep purpose and desire to do what you're doing, because it is tough. And I've learned in so many ways the hard way in the sense that, again, I didn't have a background in film. I just went for it. Um, I love it. I got the bug. I feel very, very rewarded by what I do and very happy with my choices. But you have got to get serious thick skin and be, be driven with that, that purpose and desire. If you don't have that purpose and desire, it's going to be super tough and you might not be able to continue. So I just hope that if you have that, go for it. There you, there you go, everybody out there. And look, we've got some wonderful... Sorry, Elena, yes. I just want to add one, uh, one th uh, something that I think also determination and passion would really help. Okay, thank, exactly. you. thank you. Thank you. Well, look, we've just got some, um, we've got people writing in very briefly. Jean Kendall says, thanks for a very informative discussion. Looking forward to watching your films. Phil Chetwin says, great show, folks. Um, Diane Woodward says, thank you, everybody. Hope the festival goes well. Um, Jean Fitzpatrick, every respect to these wonderful, courageous filmmakers, such an inspiring session. Now to the films, Yala. Uh, <laughs> Laura Casimir says, excellent to hear your views and experience. Thank you. I'll be circulating the link to the festival and look forward to viewing. Uh, Joanna Tyers, thank you. Rosa Simonetta, thank you. Well, look, it's going on. We've got all these people getting very, very excited about it, very excited about the film festival. So just one last reminder, www.palestinefilm.org.uk. Uh, it's up there now, it's happening now. Um, so please log in, please watch the films and please thank you with me, uh, Farah, Lena and Najwa. Thank you very much for joining us from all over the world. And until next time, join us again at Palestine Deep Dive. Thank you. Thank you.